بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Inshallah, we'll continue where we left off last week. We were speaking about Ma'rakatul Yamama, the battle of Yamama. And that was the battle of the Muslims against Musaylimah al kadhab As we mentioned, after the passing away of the Prophet ﷺ, most of the Arabian Peninsula, most of the tribes of the Arabian Peninsula apostatized and left Islam. And from the biggest of those tribes was the tribe of Banu Hanifa. And Musaylimah al-Kadhab was a person who claimed falsely to be a prophet of Allah. And his tribe of Banu Hanifa, they followed him. So it was a huge tribe and he had a huge army. So one of the armies that Abu Bakr as-Siddiq sent against Musaylimah al-Kadhab was the army of Khalid ibn al-Walid. Actually, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq he sent two armies initially to fight Musaylim al-Kadhab and then he sent the army of Khalid ibn al-Walid to go and support them as well. So it was actually three armies that Abu Bakr as-Siddiq sent to fight against Musaylim al-Kadhab and his army. And that is because the army of Musaylim was a very big army. And the threat of Musaylim was one of the biggest threats to the Arabian Peninsula because Musaylima was falsely claiming to be a prophet. You know, there were other uh, apostates around the Arabian Peninsula as well, but Musaylima was extremely dangerous because he was falsely claiming to be a prophet and he was gaining a big following. After the passing away of the Prophet wasallam, the following of Musaylima increased. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq saw this as a very dangerous threat. So he wanted to make sure that he sent an ample amount of soldiers to go and fight Musaylimah and his army. So the place where this battle took place was called Al-Yamama. So that's why the, the war or the battle is known as Ma'rakatul Yamama. The battle of Al-Yamama with Khalid ibn al-Walid leading the Muslim forces against Musaylimah. Now, as we mentioned last week, Musaylimah, he was not an experienced military man. He didn't know how to manage an army. So instead of commanding the army himself, he put Muhakkam ibn Tufail in charge of the army. Because Muhakkam ibn Tufail was someone who had military experience. So Musaylimah put him as the commander of the army. So as we mentioned last week, this battle was a very intense battle. And some of those who were present at that battle, they mentioned afterwards, they said, we never saw a fight that was so intense like the battle of Al-Yamama. That was the most intense battle, the most extreme fighting we have ever seen in our lives. So it went back and forth. At some points, it looked like the Kuffar were getting the upper hand. And at some points, it looked like the Muslims were getting the upper hand. It went back, back and forth a number of times. Eventually, Alhamdulillah, Khalid ibn al-Walid and his forces were able to get the upper hand and they were able to actually kill Musaylimah's commander, the general of the military, 
Muhakkam ibn Tufayl, he was killed by the Muslims, alhamdulillah. So this was a big blow to Musaylima and his army. Also, Nahar al-Rahal, who was one of the main ministers of Musaylima's government, he was also killed. So two of the main people from Musaylima's side were killed now, including the general of the army. So now that the commander is dead, the general is dead, the army, they don't know what to do. And even Musaylima himself, he doesn't know what to do. Because as we mentioned, he, he doesn't know how to manage an army. So now, Musaylima's army is in chaos. They don't know what to do. So Musaylima calls out to his army. He calls out to his people. He says, Alaykum bil We need to retreat to Al-Hadiqah. Al-Hadiqah was a garden. There was a garden that Musaylima had that was on the outskirts of Al-Yamama. It was a huge garden with a gated surrounding. The surrounding of that garden, it was all gated. So once you're in that garden, if you lock it, then the people can't come inside. So Musaylima, he said to his people, let's go to the garden. We'll go inside the garden, we'll lock the gates of the garden, and then they will not be able to catch us inside here. So Musaylima and his, his army, they head to the garden. They get inside that garden and they lock the gates of the garden. So Khalid ibn al-Walid and his army, they follow Musaylima. And they get to the garden. But by that time, Musaylima and his army had already entered the garden and they had closed the gates. So now the Muslims are on the outside of the garden and Musaylima and his forces are on the inside of the garden. And inside that garden, Musaylima has a palace as well. So this huge army of Musaylima, they're inside that garden. And Khalid ibn al-Walid and his forces they surround the garden and the siege begins. Now, how are we going to get inside the garden? So one of the great brave companions from the Ansar, a man named Al-Bara ibn Malik He's an amazing personality and one of the great stars of the Sahaba Al-Bara ibn Malik he says to the Muslims who are with him, he says, pick me up, pick me up and throw me into the garden. Now just imagine this. There are literally thousands of the enemy forces inside the gates of that garden. And no Muslims are inside there. It's only the enemy inside. And Al-Bara ibn Malik, one man, he's telling his people, pick me up, lift me up and throw me into the garden. Look at the bravery and the courage of this man. Al-Bara ibn Malik, he says this. Al-Quni fil Throw me into the garden. Now the other people who are with him are saying, what are you talking about? How can we just pick you up and throw you into the garden? This doesn't make sense. But he insists. Al-Quni fil Al-Quni fil He keeps telling them, just throw me in there. I'll take care of it. Throw me in there. And after he insists, they say, okay. Okay, if you insist, we will do it. But before they throw him into the garden, they make sure that they put body armor all around him. So he's covered from head to toe with this body armor. And then they actually pick him up as he requested and they throw him over the gates into the garden. This one man. And what was his intention here? What was his goal here? His goal was to get on the inside and then get to the door and then open the door so that the Muslims can penetrate and come inside. This was his intention. This was his goal. 
So he's covered now with his body armor. The other members of the army, they lift him up and they literally throw him over the gate. So now Al-Bara ibn Malik, he's inside the garden. He's inside the garden and there are thousands of enemy soldiers all around him. And Al-Bara, he needs to get to the door. He needs to move to the door in order to open the door. But all of the enemies, they're all around him. So now a very intense fighting begins. Al-Bara, mashallah, a brave, courageous, strong warrior. He's able to fend them off. He's hit from side to side with swords, with arrows, but he still continues to move forward. He puts his trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, alhamdulillah. And after that, he also has the body armor on. So alhamdulillah, he's able to move forward and he's being hit with every angle from every side. But alhamdulillah, eventually he is able to reach the door. He reaches the door. And by the time he reached the door, he had over 30 wounds all over his body, even with that body armor. Because imagine, there are literally thousands of the enemy soldiers around him. But Alhamdulillah, this one man was still able to get to the door without being killed. But he's, he's badly wounded, but he's still able to get to the door. Alhamdulillah. And with one hand, he starts to open the door. And with the other hand, he's still trying to fight off the enemies all around him. Alhamdulillah, in the end, he is victorious. He opens the door. He opens the door. And once he opens the door, the Muslim army is able to come into the garden. Walhamdulillah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them a great victory by allowing them to enter this garden. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them this victory through this man, through Al-Bara ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, one of the great courageous warriors of the Ansar radiallahu anhum ajma'in. Okay, so now the Muslims are inside. And this is something that the kuffar, they never expected. They didn't think that this garden could be penetrated. But now the Muslims are inside. And the kuffar, they still don't have a military commander. Yes, Musaylima is still alive, but he doesn't know anything about who, how to organize the army or anything. So now the kuffar, they're scared. They don't know what to do. They just start trying to run away fleeing here and there, some of them getting out of the garden, some of them trying to run to other sides, trying to avoid being killed by the Muslims. But Alhamdulillah, the Muslims are able to attack them very effectively. And a great slaughter of the kuffar takes place in that garden. A great slaughter of the kuffar. And that's why later on that hadiqa, that garden, it became known as hadiqatul maut. The garden of death because of the vast number of kuffar from the army of Musaylim al-Kadhab who were killed inside that garden. Now while this fight is going on, Musaylim himself, he's shocked and, and he tries to run away himself. But there are two people who have their eyes on Musaylim, two people from the companions who have their sights set on Musaylim himself that we are going to kill Musaylim. And those two people are Abu Dujana radiallahu an and Wahshi ibn Harb radiallahu an. These two people, they have their sights set on Musaylima himself. They want to kill Musaylima himself. So let's talk about these two personalities, these two men who, whose goal was to kill Musaylima. Because once you kill Musaylima, then it's finished. 
once this false claimant to prophethood is dead, then his religion is also dead. So you kill him and you finish the fitna. So Abu Dujana had his sight set on him and also Wahshi ibn Harb had his sight set on him. So who are these two people? Who are Abu Dujana and who is Wahshi ibn Harb? Okay, Abu Dujana, a great warrior, someone who played a very important role in the battle of Uhud. If you remember when we had the lessons on the seerah, when we spoke about the battle of Uhud, who was Abu Dujana? Abu Dujana was the person whom Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave his own personal sword to him. The Prophet sallallahu he had his sword and he said to the people, he announced to the people on the day of Uhud, أَيُّكُمْ يَأْخُذُ هَذَا السَّيْفِ بِحَقِّهِ أَيُّكُمْ يَأْخُذُ هَذَا السَّيْفَ بِحَقِّهِ Who amongst you will take this sword and give this sword its right? This is the sword of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So it has a right that must be fulfilled. أَيُّكُمْ يَأْخُذُ هَذَا السَّيْفِ بِحَقِّهِ Who amongst you can take this sword and give it its right? So many of the great companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they said, Ana ya Rasulullah, I will take it and I will give it its right, Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet ﷺ, he wouldn't give it to any of them. Finally, Abu Dujana he asked the Prophet ﷺ, Wama haqquhu, ya Rasulullah, what is the right of that sword, Ya Rasulullah? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Haqquhu an bihi hatta ya'waj. That the right of this sword is that you should strike people with it until the sword becomes bent. You strike so many people with it that the sword itself, it becomes curved and bent. So the Prophet ﷺ explained that that is the right of this sword. So then Abu Dujana an, he said, Ya Rasulullah, ana akhuduhu bihaqqi. O Messenger of Allah, I will take it and I will give that sword its right. And the Prophet ﷺ gave his sword to Abu Dujana That was the honor of Abu Dujana Abu Dujana, he took the sword with honor and he put on a red bandana on his head. Let's try to visualize this. He takes the sword of Rasulullah he puts a red bandana on his head and then he starts walking. He starts walking with a very proud walk a very proud walk so that the kuffar who are on the other side they can see they can see him walking like this and when he walked like this the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said hadhihi al-mishya yakrahuha allah wa rasuluh illa fi hadha al-mawqi he said this kind of walk walking like a proud person walking with your chest up walking like a big person not walking humbly, but walking with pride. The Prophet ﷺ said when he saw Abu Dujana walking like that, he said, this is the type of walk that Allah and His Messenger hate this type of walk. Except in this situation. In this situation, it's okay. In this type of situation, when you need to show your power and your pride to the kuffar, then it's okay to walk like that. It's okay to show them that you are more powerful than them. It's okay to make them feel small. This is okay. So in general, no, you don't walk like that. But in that type of situation, in jihad, yes, it's okay. There's no problem. So Abu Dujana, radiallahu anhu, he is given the sword of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He puts the red bandana on his head and he starts walking with pride. 
And on that day, on the day of Uhud, Abu Dujana radiallahu an, he was one of the people who stayed on the side of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam when the kuffar were able to come close to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Abu Dujana was, was one of the human shields. He was one of the people who made himself a human shield to protect the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So that is Abu Dujana, a great man who had a great role in the battle of Uhud. So he is one of them who had his sights on Musaylima al-Kadhaab. The second person who had his sights on Musaylima was Wahshi ibn Harb. And what is the story of Wahshi ibn Harb? Wahshi ibn Harb also had a big part in the battle of Uhud, but not on the side of the Muslims. Rather, Wahshi ibn Harb fought against the Muslims on that day. At that time, he was not a Muslim, but later on, he became a Muslim. On the day of Uhud, Wahshi ibn Harb was the person who killed the beloved uncle of the Prophet wasallam, Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib. And that was something that was very, very painful to the Prophet wasallam, the loss of his uncle Hamza So Wahshi ibn Harb, he actually didn't care about the war. In, battle, in the battle of Uhud, he didn't care. The Muslims win, if the Kuffar win, that, that, was, that was not his concern at all. His sole purpose in joining that battle was not to fight anyone, not to kill anyone, but solely to target Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib and kill him. Because his owner, he was a slave, his owner said to him that if you kill Hamza, you kill Hamza, you are free. So just to get his freedom, he didn't care about the battle, he didn't care about who wins or loses. He had a sole purpose only to kill one man, Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, so he could gain his freedom. So on that day, on the day of Uhud, he made that his sole focus. He tracked all of the movements of Hamza to the best of his ability. And when he saw Hamza radiallahu an in a position that was within reach of Wahshi's spear, Wahshi, who was an expert at throwing spears, that was his weapon. You know, some people are expert at sword fighting. Some people are experts with arrows. Wahshi, he was an expert with spears. Like he could throw a spear from a distance and he wouldn't miss his target. So when Hamza came into his range, Wahshi, he took his spear and he threw it and he hit Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib radiallahu an. And Hamza radiallahu an was martyred on that day, on the day of Uhud. This was done by Wahshi ibn Harb. So... Later on, alhamdulillah, Wahshi, he became a Muslim. And that guilt that he had for killing Hamza, it remained with him even after he became a Muslim. Even though Islam, it wipes out and it cleans out everything that came before it. So when he became a Muslim, he was forgiven for that. But still, it bothered him. He felt guilty about what he did. So he was always looking for an opportunity to do something that can expiate for that. To do something that can wipe out in his heart that feeling of guilt about what he did. So, when did Wahshi actually become a Muslim? He became a Muslim after the Fath of Mecca, after the Prophet ﷺ came and took Mecca. So, when the Prophet ﷺ came to Mecca victorious, Wahshi got scared because Wahshi knew what he did. He knew that he killed the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. So, he was scared that the Prophet ﷺ would have him executed. And Wahshi hadn't accepted Islam yet at this time. So he ran away to Ta'if. When the Prophet ﷺ took Mecca, Wahshi, he ran away to Ta'if. But then Ta'if also became Muslim a short time later. 
So now Wahshi, he's very worried. Okay, Makkah became Muslim, Ta'if became Muslim. What should I do? So he was thinking to himself, maybe I should go to Asham. Maybe I should go to Yemen. Maybe I should go here. Maybe I should go there. He wanted to w run away from the Prophet because he was afraid for his life. He thought that the Prophet would take revenge for his uncle, Hamza. Then a man told Wahshi, a man told Wahshi, he said, Wayhak. He said, look, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he never kills anyone who comes into his religion. You become a Muslim, no matter what you did, he's not going to kill you. He doesn't kill the people who come into his religion. So Wahshi saw that, okay, this is the solution. I need to accept Islam. So he went to meet the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He he went in front of the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. He took the shahada. And the Prophet ﷺ looked at him and he recognized, he knew who he was. And he said, Wahshi? Is it you, Ya Wahshi? Wahshi? And then Wahshi said, Naam, it is me. And by this time now he had accepted Islam. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, Uqud, fahaddithni kayfa qatalta Hamza. He said, Sit down. Sit down and tell me how you killed my uncle Hamza. Give me the details. Tell me what you did on that day of Uhud. So then Wahshi, answering this question of the Prophet ﷺ, he explained all of the details of what he did on the day of Uhud. How he tracked Hamza, how he finally found him in a position that was in range of his spear, how he threw the spear, how the spear hit Hamza. He explained in detail to the Prophet ﷺ all of those events. And the Prophet ﷺ is listening to all of this, remembering his uncle, remembering what happened to his uncle. So after he hears all of this, now Wahshi is a Muslim. Wahshi is a Muslim. But still remembering this caused such pain to the heart of the Prophet. ﷺ. So after hearing this, the Prophet ﷺ said to Wahshi, Wayhaka ya Wahshi, anni wajhak fala arak. He said, Ya Wahshi, don't let your face come in front of me. I don't want to see your face. I don't want to see your face. So make sure that you don't come in front of me. He accepted that he became a Muslim, alhamdulillah. He could, he could learn Islam. He could be a Muslim. He could be part of the community. No problem. But he made this request to Wahshi, don't come in front of my face. I don't want to see you. Because of course, seeing Wahshi would remind him of Hamza radiallahu anhu. And this is reasonable from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he said to Wahshi, anni wajhak fala arak. Don't let your face come in front of me. I don't want to see you. So Wahshi said from that point on, until the passing away of the Prophet Sallallahu Wahshi would always make sure that he would never come in front of the face of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He would always stay behind the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He would always make sure that he was never in a position where the Prophet ﷺ could see him. He was very careful about it until the Prophet ﷺ passed away. So you could see that guilt that he, that he carries in his heart. Now Wahshi is a good Muslim, alhamdulillah. He didn't become a Muslim just to save himself, but he actually believed in Islam and he became a good practicing Muslim, alhamdulillah. So after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, the guilt was still there. But yes, I'm a Muslim, alhamdulillah, but still, I killed the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. That guilt was still there. So he wanted to do something, do something that could, that could 
lighten that feeling of guilt that he had. So he saw his partic participation in the battle of Al-Yamama against Musaylimah. He saw that as a good opportunity. That I can kill Musaylimah. If I kill Musaylimah Al-Kadhab, Musaylimah Al-Kadhab is the most dangerous person alive on earth to Islam right now. He is the biggest threat to Islam right now. If I kill him, then inshallah that can expiate the feeling of guilt that I have for killing Hamza radiallahu anhu. So he made that his goal. Today I'm going to kill Musaylimah Al-Kadhab. So when all of this chaos happened, when the gate of the garden was opened and the Muslims came in the garden and the kuffar, the army of Musaylima, they started running here and there. They didn't know what to, what to do. These two people, they put their sights on Musaylima himself. Abu Dujana and Wahshi. So Musaylima is trying to run away. Wahshi sees him. And Wahshi is an expert at throwing spears. So... Wahshi sees Musaylimah running away. He takes his spear and he throws it. Around the same time Abu Dujana, he has gotten very close to Wahshi. And he picks up his sword to strike Wahshi. But before Abu Dujana can strike Wahshi, the spear of... Uh, I'm sorry, before Abu Dujana strikes Musaylimah, the spear of Wahshi, it hits Musaylimah. So both of them, they were aiming for Musaylimah. Abu Dujana with his sword and Wahshi with his spear. Wahshi throws his spear. Abu Dujana picks up his sword. The spear of Wahshi hits Musaylimah. And then a few seconds later, the sword of Abu Dujana hits Musaylimah. But the spear of Wahshi hit Musaylimah first. The spear of Wahshi hits Musaylimah first. And then the sword of Abu Dujana hits him shortly after that. And there was a woman inside the palace. Remember we said Musaylimah, he had a palace inside the garden. There was a woman inside the palace who was watching what's going on from above. And when she saw the spear of Wahshi hit Musaylimah, she said, Wa Amir al-Aswad. And that's the proof that it was actually Wahshi who killed Musaylimah. Wahshi is the one who hit him first before Abu Dujana. Because this woman who was witnessing everything from above, she had a good view of what was going on. She said, Wa Amir al qatalahu al -abdul aswad. She said, Oh, the, the ruler of the believers, the leader of the believers. And she's, she's talking about Musaylimah. Because they considered him to be their leader. So she said, Oh, the leader of the believers has been killed by the black slave. And by the black slave, she is referring to Wahshi. So Wahshi is the one who killed Musaylimah al-Kadhab. Wahshi killed Musaylimah al-Kadhab, but Abu Dujana, he participated in it as well. Walhamdulillah. So after Musaylimah was killed by Wahshi, Wahshi used to say, قَتَلْتُ خَيْرَ النَّاسِ فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ وَقَتَلْتُ شَرَّ النَّاسِ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ قَتَلْتُ خَيْرَ النَّاسِ فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ وَقَتَلْتُ شَرَّ النَّاسِ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ He said, when I was in the times of Jahiliyyah, before I was a Muslim, I killed the best of the people. But as a Muslim, Alhamdulillah, I killed the worst person. I killed the worst of the people. I killed Musaylimah al-Kadhab. So after he killed Musaylimah, then he said, only after I killed Musaylimah, then I felt some, some peace in my heart. That guilt that I had, finally, after killing Musaylimah, I felt some comfort and I felt some peace that inshallah, this will take care of that. So this was the death of Musaylimah al-Kadhab. 
This was the end of this false claimant to prophethood. And alhamdulillah, the danger of, of his claim to prophethood was gone now, alhamdulillah. With Musaylima dead, his religion will also be dead. So that was the end of that, alhamdulillah. Now, in this ma'raka, in the battle of Al-Yamama, 21,000 of Musaylima's soldiers died. 21,000. Imagine how big his army was if 21,000 died. And a number of them were taken as prisoners as well. So Khalid ibn al-Walid and his army killed 21,000 of Musaylima's men. From the Muslim side, alhamdulillah, the casualties were much less. There were 1,000 casualties from the Muslim side. 1,000 Muslims died in that battle. But out of those 1,000, half of them were from the Huffad, from the Hafadati Kitabillah, from the people who memorized the Qur'an. So 500 people who memorized the whole Qur'an, they were, they were killed in one battle. So this was, this was a heavy loss. Even though the numbers were much less for the Muslims, 1,000 Muslims, 21,000 of the Kuffar, still from those 1,000 Muslims, 500 of them were from the Huffad. So it's still a very, very heavy casualty from the Muslim side as well. So Khalid, alhamdulillah, he took many prisoners as well. In addition to those 21,000 who were killed, he took many prisoners as well. Now, Muja'ah ibn Murara, if you remember Muja'ah ibn Murara, he was that one prisoner that Khalid had taken before. He killed the rest of the prisoners that he had from earlier, but they advised him to keep one alive, and that was Muja'ah ibn Murara. So he was still there as a prisoner. And he told Khalid, he said, Ya Khalid, there are still many soldiers, there are still many soldiers in the fortresses of Yamama. Yamama has fortresses and there's still many soldiers inside there. So if they want, they can probably come out and fight you again. So he said, let me go to them. They're my people. Let me go to them and I will try to make a deal with them. I'll try to make a deal with them. And this deal is that you have to let go all of our prisoners. All of the prisoners that you have taken, you have to let them all go. But you can have all of the wealth of Yamama. All the property of Yamama, it's yours. But you have to let go of all of the prisoners. We just want to save the people. We just want to save our people. We don't care about the property and the wealth. You can have all of that. This is the deal I want to make with my people. Let me go in the fortress and talk to them. So Khalid said, okay, go ahead. You go and talk to them and see. That sounds like a good deal because Khalid didn't want to fight them again. They had already gone through a very intense fight. If they could get through it now with taking control of Yamama and taking all of the property and letting the prisoners go, this seems like a fair deal. And Khalid agreed to that. So he said, okay, go and talk to them, see what they say. So Muja'a, he goes inside the fortress. Now Muja'a, he lied to Khalid. The fortress wasn't full of soldiers. Rather, it was full of women and children. But what he did when he went inside the fortress, he told all those women and the children, he said, put on body armor. Put on shields and body armor and stuff. So they did that. The women, they put on body armor. The kids, they put on this body armor, right? So then, when they came outside of the fortress, or when they, came, when they came on the balconies of the fortress, Khalid and the Muslims saw that, look at all of these people, so many people, and they're all covered with armor. They couldn't tell if they were men or women. They're covered with body armor. You don't know if it's a man behind that armor or a woman. They were women. But Khalid and the Muslims, they didn't know that. So the idea that they got was, yes, this fortress, it's full of soldiers. And if they want, they can come out and start a fight again. So Khalid didn't want that. So now Muja'ah ibn Murara, he comes back out of the fortress and he talks to Khalid again. He says, yeah, Khalid, they didn't agree to that, that original proposal that you take 
that you take all of the wealth of Yamama and you let go all of the prisoners. They didn't agree to that. So we need to renegotiate. So they renegotiated a few times. Khalid gave a counter offer. Muja'a said, no, that won't work. And they went back and forth a few times. Finally, they agreed on the final negotiation was that the Muslims would take one-fourth of the property of Yamama. They would, they would have control of Yamama. They would be the ones in charge of the land. But as for the wealth and the property of the people, the Muslims would have one-fourth of that, but three-fourths would remain with Banu Hanifa. And all of the captives, all of the prisoners have to be let go. So Khalid agreed to this, thinking that we don't want another fight because there are too many soldiers inside that, that fortress. And if we start another fight again, it's going to be very intense and we'll, we will lose a lot of more people. So now that there's, there's peace, let us just accept this offer. So Khalid accepted this. He said, okay, I'll let go all of the prisoners. We will take control of Yamama and we will take one-fourth of the wealth of Yamama. This was what was agreed upon. So they agreed upon that. The agreement was made. Now Khalid, he entered the fortress. After the agreement was made, Khalid entered the fortress. When he entered the fortress, what did he see? He saw that there are no soldiers there. This is just women and children here. So then he said to Muja'a, he was very angry. He said to Muja'a, you tricked me. You tricked us. These are all just women and children. There's no soldiers here. Then Muja'a, he said that I had to do this. These are my people. I had to do whatever I could to help them. But Khalid had already made an agreement. He had given his word, so he was not going to go back on his word. He let the prisoners go. That was it. Now, after this agreement was made, shortly after, a message came from Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. And the message said, whatever prisoners you capture, kill all of the prisoners. Kill all of them to make them an example. To make them an example. Because this is a very dangerous situation we're going through in the Arabian Peninsula. People thinking they can leave Islam and apostate from Islam. We need to make an example of what we do to these people. So all the prisoners you have, kill them to make them an example. But even though this was the instruction of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anh, Khalid had already given his word that I agree to let the prisoners go. So now Khalid is thinking, what should I do? This is the instruction from Abu Bakr. But I have already made an agreement and a promise with, this, with these people. So Khalid, he said, okay, I have to keep my word. This message from Abu Bakr, it came later. But I already gave my word to these people, so I have to keep my word. A Muslim does not betray his word. And this was the right decision that Khalid ibn al-Walid made. And Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he agreed with that as well, alhamdulillah. That he was not going to go back on his word. So the people of Banu Hanifa, the people of Yamama, they were set free, walhamdulillah. And then Khalid, he sent people to them from the Muslims to bring them back to Islam. Like, look, you're the person you are following, Musaylima, he's dead now. So his religion is dead. Just come back to Islam and things will be okay. So alhamdulillah, they started coming back to Islam. The tribe of Banu Hanifa, they started coming back to Islam. So Khalid, he sent a delegation from Banu Hanifa to Abu Bakr to go and tell Abu Bakr that yes, we have, we have accepted Islam back again. So he sent some of the members of Banu Hanifa to go to Medina to meet Abu Bakr and to, to tell him officially that yes, we have come back to Islam. So this group from Banu Hanifa, they arrived in Medina, they met Abu Bakr and they told him that yes, uh, we, we have decided to come back into Islam. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was very happy with this and he accepted this and he said to these people, okay, you're back in Islam, alhamdulillah, but tell me, 
what did Musaylimah used to teach you? What did he used to preach to you? What did he used to teach you? So they told him some of the things that Musaylimah used to teach them. Some of the fake surahs that he used to claim were revealed to him. One of those surahs was Al-Feel. Al-Feel, Mal-Feel, wa ma adraka Mal-Feel. Dhanabuhu radheel wa khurtumuhu tawil. You know, crazy stuff like this. The elephant. What is the elephant? What will explain to you what is the elephant? It has a scraggly tail and it has a long trunk. This is nonsense. No meaning. So Abu Bakr radiallahu he said to these people, this is garbage. This is literally garbage. And what happened to your people, your, your aql? What happened to your minds? How can you accept this, this stupidity? And they admitted, they said, yes, we were wrong. We were wrong. But now, alhamdulillah, we want to come back to Islam. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu was very happy. And Banu Hanifa, alhamdulillah, they came back to Al-Islam. So that was the end of Khalid's participation, the participation of Khalid ibn al-Walid in the wars against the apostates. After this, after the Ma'arakatul Yamama, Khalid radiallahu anhu was sent by Abu Bakr to Iraq to go and conquer Iraq, bi-idhnillah. But there were still other wars against the other apostates in the different parts of the Arabian Peninsula that were going on. Remember Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he prepared 11 armies. 11 armies to go to the different parts of the Arabian Peninsula. Khalid's army was just one of those armies. So now after defeating Musaylimah, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he sent Khalid and his army to Iraq to go and conquer Iraq, inshallah. But the wars against the other apostates in different parts of the Arabian Peninsula, they were still going on with the other armies. With the other armies. And inshallah, next week we will speak about some of those other wars that were going on in the Arabian Peninsula under other commanders from the armies of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. We'll speak about that next week bi-idhnillah. Wallahu alam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.